take our Bibles this morning and go to the book of 1 John. John wrote the Gospel of John and also three small letters at the end of the New Testament. So if you're newer to the Word of God, you'll go to the back of your Bible and maybe go backwards and look for 1 John. We'll look at chapter 4. Thank you for your congregational choir and ensemble singing this morning. You've certainly uh, helped prepare my heart to continue on in worship uh, this morning um, through personal rebuke and encouragement through song. Uh, it's been very, very helpful to me today as you focus not just on the tune but the content that the content is really why the tune was composed or, or, or written. <laughs> um, so it's very helpful to me, and I know helpful to you today as well. If you need a Bible to follow along with this morning, just slip up your hand, and our ushers will find you and give you a copy of the scriptures to, to, uh, to follow along. Our text this morning is verses 7 to 14. So let's read that together. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. And as we go through this text, I think it would be good for you to just note or underline the phrase one another, and another phrase uh, that mentions God sending his son. I think you'll see those multiple times here, right? Uh, and note the word love, right? Not just the we'll love one another, uh, but love as it pertains to God and love as it pertains to God's sending. Okay? Beloved, let us, love, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Not, no one, excuse me, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He is in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Father in heaven, as we seek to meditate and investigate and preach this small portion of Scripture this morning, I pray that our, our minds would be directed to the truth of this text which provides for us wonderful doctrinal content and practical content that we can understand and embrace and live. We need the help of your Spirit to do that. Lord, I think of those who would love to be here who can't be here this morning. I pray if they're joining us through live stream that their hearts would be influenced to also understand as we would understand the truth of this text. I pray for those, Lord, who are especially hurting this morning. I think of 
Randy Beck and the loss of his, of his mother this weekend. You'd strengthen him and the family at this hour. I think, Lord, of uh, Gordon Austin, who's probably at his dad's bedside this morning, who's struggling uh, tremendously in his health. I pray that you'd strengthen Gordon, his father, and the family. I think of uh, folks that have lost longtime friends, best friends like uh, Ken Putman of his co-worker this past week. Lord, this is a season of great rejoicing, but as Ecclesiastes tells us, we also must enter into the house of mourning at time, and there's significant learning in both rejoicing and mourning. We weep with those who weep, and we rejoice with those who rejoice, and so we, uh, we weep with these this morning, among others who are hurting at this particular time. I pray that thy spirit would have a, a wonderful work done in their hearts today as the comforter that you have sent to indwell us. We thank you, Lord, for the rejoicing and song this morning. Uh, certainly there is much to rejoice over in the incarnation, God becoming man. Uh, certainly, whether individually or corporately or with a choir, with the ensemble, there's a, there's a very particular and unique joy when we have the opportunity to worship you for sending your son to be the savior of the world, our savior. Help us, Lord, to understand this text as we move forward in relationship to the incarnation, the sent one, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in flesh, and his ultimate purpose for doing so. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There are so many ways that the love of God in Christ is, is clearly seen among us in our church family each and every day of the year. The Bible has taught us in Romans chapter 5, in verse 5, that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God the Spirit is very much interested and teaching us and instructing us about the love of God in Jesus Christ. And he does that. We know that when the Spirit of God baptized us into Christ, the moment we were born again, and we were made completely new in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit gave us spiritual gifts. And every one of those spiritual gifts, according to 1 Corinthians 13, is to be lived out among us in love. We know from 1 Peter 4, verses 9 through 11, that living out that love among us is all underpinned by the manifold grace of God. And at Grace Church of Men, our love is so clearly seen everywhere you look. The way you greet each other in Christ is in a superior way to the normal, healthy hello you may have been offered in town this week from a friend. Various efforts to help the needy among the household of faith, are so comprehensive here. I've not seen anything like it in any church in my life. We're getting so much more conscientious on how to weep with those who hurt and rejoice with those who are glad. I've seen so many sacrifice an indescribable amount of time helping each other with life tasks, life needs, 
and sometimes even life once. You pray with each other and for each other. You teach the word of God to one another in disciple-making efforts. You preach the word of God to one another. You study the word together. You throw yourselves, some of you, into the administration of the function of the church. You wholly give yourselves over to the practical care of this facility in addition to caring for one another. For most here, your giving to this church is so layered. You love to worship with integrity in this way and you do all of the previously mentioned things just so we can have the opportunity to worship together. We enjoy the ordinances together. We remember the sufficiency of Christ's one-time atonement for sin each and every day of the year. But as a church, we gather together once a month to remember. When you rejoice after someone is saved, we eagerly anticipate their baptism where we as a church collectively rejoice over a soul that is ready to publicly identify with the body of Christ and stand up and say, yes, it is Jesus and Jesus alone that does save. Paul preaches and teaches in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, that he says, I have no need to teach you, to the Thessalonian believers, how to love each other for You yourselves are taught of God how to love one another, so continue to increase more and more. You know, I feel that same way as the pastor here at Grace Church of Menor. I don't feel like I can teach you anything more about the love of God because he's teaching you. You're a healthy people, and we're so glad. There is divine value associated with each aspect and way that we love each other here at Grace Church. The Lord does seem to place, though, degrees of value upon these various expressions of Christian love. All essential, but they all seem to have their place in and among the body of Christ. You may ask which of these and many more expressions of love is first in worth or foremost in value. There is one expression of love that is necessary for all biblical, practical expressions of love to be lived. There is a singular, essential first love, if you will, that must be embraced in order for all of us to enjoy the various ways of love that's lived out among us that have been been described here in the last five minutes. In 1 John 4, 7-14, as we read it earlier, What did you hear in that passage? What love that is a superlative love was described in those few short verses? One translation interprets John 15, 13 and following this way. Jesus said, 
I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. You must go on living in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and live in his love. So love to Jesus was obedience. It's objective long before it's emotive. He obeyed the Father when we're in Christ. We obey Christ, the living word and the written word, by his grace. But he, could, but he continues, and, and hang out with me here if you would. Jesus said, I have told you this so that you can share my joy. And that your happiness may be complete. So there's a, there's a continuation of an expression of divine love beyond just merely obeying God and His Word. And there's a sharing here of a joy that is much more superlative than merely demonstrating divine love and our obedience. And hang on with me here. I'm not trying to split love, especially God's love, okay? I'm trying to just share with you Christ's words as we move forward to the most superlative expression of God's love, because that's the love that we know the world could never share without Jesus Christ, and only we can in him. Okay. This is my commandment, he says, that you love each other as I have loved you, but hang on, it continues. There is no greater love than this. That a man should lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I tell you to do, I shall not call you servants any longer, for a servant does not share his master's confidence. No, I call you my friends. Now, because I have told you everything that I have heard from the Father. So Jesus is saying this. I'm God in flesh. I came to be subordinate to the Father to live out obedience to Him. And that obedience included me coming as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. So He's saying, I am your greatest friend. I came to lay down my life for you. I am the good news of Jesus Christ. Now I'm calling you my friends. And the most superlative form of love that is to be shared with great joy is that you are now the ambassadors of Christ to share the good news of Him with others. There was no one under the sound of my voice today who would debate the truth of Christ's words here. Among all the practical expressions of the love of God, God in flesh, Jesus Christ states here that the greatest is to give one's life for a friend for a purpose. As a friend for a purpose. You know, folks, in our culture, reverence for our military and first responders is at an all-time national high because we value people who selflessly lay their lives down for the life of somebody else. And and we should. The highest respect and homage is paid to those in any daily scene of human existence for those who risk their physical lives to save another physical life, from pulling someone out of a burning car to offering someone who's not even family an organ. 
so that they might continue to live. The act of living sacrifice that ends in potential personal death needs to be honored and always will be by us, by common grace in our community. But let's dwell on this today. Christ's context of personal life sacrifice in John 15 and in our text that we'll see this morning in 1 John 4, same author, is far superior and even transcends one's common grace ability to sacrifice their physical life for another. Christ's exhortation to his own is this. I've come to lay down my life for you so that you may be freed from the bondage of your own sin and know how to truly live your life and lay it down for the sake of someone else's spiritual life. No man has ever or will ever except the man Christ Jesus be able to offer this sacrificial act of love on our behalf personally and corporately. Jesus said, I have come to give life and to give life more abundantly. Only his sacrifice for our sin could have done this. But Jesus also said in the text that we've just read, you're my friends if you do what I tell you to do. If you go out and be like me. I am God's missional ambassador to you for your sin. Now God has called you to be his, my missional ambassadors for the spiritual sake of others and their eternal existence. The superlative act of love I witness by men is you giving your life over to the cause and ultimate purpose of Christ's life. While the Lord certainly uses all practical expressions of Christian love to help strengthen one another in the body, this is the highest practical of expression of love in which he changes the world through us. Think about that in relationship to John 13 where he also writes, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. Think about that in relationship to John 15 and now 1 John 4. The highest superlative expression of how we love one another that unbelief might see and know that we are believers is by making sure we all have understood Christ and why he came. That we're all born again and then we work together as a body to prepare each other to go and to be sent in joy to share. no greater love than that. There's no greater love than that. This is the love of mission. This is the love of the Great Commission. Christ gave his life so that we might offer ours as a missional living sacrifice. Paul says in Romans 5.8 that most of you are familiar with, but God freely offered his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what's going on here with the recipients of this letter from John, right? They're being influenced by a group of people that was running around teaching believers that eh, God really didn't come in the flesh. 
Jesus was never really born. We're not saying Jesus doesn't exist. They were just trying to upend, right, people that actually had believed in the Apostle John who had seen God in human flesh. John's a later writer. He's the last writer of the whole Bible. He writes in about 1895, right? Most of the apostles are gone off the scene. I believe he's the last living eyewitness of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, 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 and there had been a group of cult-like people that had, that had begun to barrage local churches, teaching them, ah, Jesus, we're okay with his existence, but God can't become man. They were called Gnostics. I don't know how they would, the deaf ministry would translate that. But um, they, they were a group of people that believed that the spirit realm could never come into the material realm because the spirit realm is pure and sinless and the material realm is affected by sin and darkness. So how in the world could spirit enter the material realm without being wicked? They were called historically what came to be known as platonic dualists, right? They, they just didn't think the two could meet. And John's saying, no, I have seen, I have tasted, I have touched. Remember 1 John chapter 1? He did come, he is real, and he was God. And he is God. Right? You can cross-reference next to 1 John 1, the gospel of John chapter 1. Right? God did become man. As a matter of fact, if he didn't become man, you would not have been able to receive him and have a gospel that changed the way you lived. Your life now is proof that God was enfleshed. And that's why the book of 1 John is known as a book to help people who are doubting their salvation. These people had been brought to doubt their salvation because of uh, these false teachers who were coming in, uh, trying to upend what they had doctrinally known. the time John gets to the end of this first of three letters, he's very passionate within this context for those people to, to understand now that they've been assured in their feeling right, that they are born again. It's like now that we're getting to the end of this first letter and we've taken care of correcting the falsehood, getting you reunited with the Lord in fellowship and with each other and walking in Christ's likeness. He says, now I really want you to know your ultimate missional purpose of Christ's sacrificial love. Now think about that. If these false teachers could get these people to doubt Christ, he could get them to doubt to live for Christ. Would that make sense? Right? So if they're not going to live with, for Christ seven days a week, or in a month or a year, they're certainly not going to go on and be a mission agent for Christ. Does that make sense? So this is not rocket science. But now that the corrective has been brought, and they've been walking, and they're assured, let's remember the superlative reason why Christ came. Christ is not just an example, my friends, of what it means to be a sacrifice. He's an example of what it means to be an ambassador. He came for us to follow that example. I want to give you four simple points here. We're not going to spend much time on this morning as we crescendo uh, to the end. But I just want to highlight a few things in this passage 
to, to, and then bring it to a conclusion and how we can strengthen one another in this love unto missional purposes. In this context, you probably noted three different times where we are to love one another. Verse 7, verse 11, and verse 12. In this context, we find out a significant first truth that, that God is the source of sacrificial love. God is the source of sacrificial love. We find that in verse 7. We find that in verse 9. We find that in verse 10. We find that in verse 11 and 12. We know from this text and this, this book, this letter, and others, passages of Scripture, that God is light. Chapter 1 and verse 5, God is truth. Chapter 1 and verse 6, the same author in John 4.24 4, says that God is spirit, and here God is love. He's the source of all sacrificial love. God is love. Love is God. To love is God's nature. Love is as eternal as God is. Love is not God's shadow. It is God. It is an expression of His personality. Christ, then, is love because Christ is God. He's the sent one. The Holy Spirit then is love and He underpins the love of Christ and the love of God unto missional purposes we'll find out in just a little bit. But He is love because He is God and from eternity past, friends, the God has enjoyed sinless fellowship and God created man to enjoy that same reality but sin changed things. Sin altered the state of fellowship and sinless community. So God, who is love, sent His Son, who is eternal love, to mend that which had been broken, that God had desired for us. God's love is sacrificial. And within this immediate context of 1 John chapter 4, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, remember, a love that has been corrected, a love that has been matured, now that a love is being sent out to be missional. Okay? By the time we're in this process of the book. The Apostle John wants to strengthen these people's understanding theologically, biblically, doctrinally, that God is the source of this sacrificial love. He is the source of all different layers and degrees of kinds of Christian love, but in this context, he's the source of sacrificial love. And this is a preeminent love. This is why he sent his son. Secondly, he wants us to understand here that Christ is the manifestation of God's sacrificial love. God is the source, Christ is the manifestation. You find that as we read earlier in verse 9, verse 10, and verse 14. The text says here in verse 9 that Christ was sent of God as the only begotten Son into the world so that we might what? Please underline that word live if you believe in writing in your Bibles. So that we might live through Him. And my friends, that word live here is in specific applicational context to this passage. So that we might be found living on mission. God sent Jesus Christ on a mission, did he not? Cross-reference in your margin of your Bible, off next to the word live here, Philippians chapter 2, all right, verses 2 to 10. God sent Christ on mission. He told us in John 15, His mission was to obey the Father, 
so that he could lay down his life for missional purposes. God sent his son so that we might live on mission. Verse 10, God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And Christ, God in flesh, is the satisfaction of God's wrath against sinners when they're born again. God no longer finds us as enemies, but he finds us as friends. And he loves us as much as he loves his son. And he cannot help himself but do so. Christ was sent to help us live on mission because we've understood his mission. Verse 14. The Son was sent to be the Savior of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that Christ from eternity past had been on mission to come. To become a man. For the eternal purposes of reuniting lost people back to the Father through himself. He became the Savior of the world. You can cross-reference 1 John 2, verses 2 and 3, a few pages back where he came not just to save us from our sins, but the sins of the whole world. He is the Savior. Christ is the manifestation of God's sacrificial love. All three verses says that he is a sent one. So we get our English word apostle. This is someone who's an envoy or an ambassador, a commissioner, if you will, if you will, of eternal life. And what I find is interesting here in this context, and this may not translate well to some, but this is in a tense in the Greek grammar, which is the perfect tense. And all that simply means is Christ was sent once and once for all to be the singular soul sacrifice of sin with the emphasis that he saved you so that you might continue to live on mission with emphasis on today. So once you're born again, praise God for the transformation. Praise God for the life alteration. Praise God for eternal life. But in this context, the ultimate expression of love is to be on mission. Is to be on mission. To be a sent one as our Savior is our sent one. The Holy Spirit, thirdly here, is the the teacher of sacrificial love. Our tutor, if you will. God is the source. Christ is the manifestation. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. Look at verse 13, and we're going to compare this with verse 12 as we crescendo to the end this morning. No one has seen God at any time. He's a spirit. If we love one another, and we understand more and more as we go through this passage what it means to love one another, right? Helping each other keep on task of mission. If we love one another, God abides in us. In other words, if this, if this attachment to mission and the desire to reach lost souls for Christ increases in us, then we know we abide in God, in Christ. And his love is perfected in us. But it's connected to verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him. He uses that word again that he uses in verse 12. And he is in us. And he qualifies that because he has given us his what? His spirit. Now the spirit of God is mentioned I think in 1 John 3.24. He's mentioned in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2. The same context. 
All right? The Spirit of God is, in chapter 3, is the agent, the teacher of God that teaches how to live holy and obey lies. You understand the context and the flow of 1 John, these people that had, been, that had been turned on their ears, so to speak, because of false teaching, had stopped living for the Lord, but now they're corrected, they're back living for the Lord, and the Holy Spirit's their instructor on in how to obey. Well, the Holy Spirit has another opportunity here, another another. Um, Way to teach us in chapter 4. He's the one that helps us discern, chapter 4 and verse 2, what is a false teacher and who's not. He helps us discern the spirits. But here in this context, it's the Spirit of God who knows how to pour out the love of God in our hearts, First Romans 5, 5, in this particular way. And I don't seek to confuse you. But he is saying here, the Spirit of God knows, and he's very familiar with, the superlative expression or manifestation of love in Christ that was sourced in God. The Spirit of God's existence is to underpin and support the mission of the Son to be the Savior. As the Son was submissive to the Father and living obediently to come and to give his life a ransom for many. It's the Spirit of God that continues to develop in you as an individual the conviction and the passion to stay on mission. To stay on mission. And finally this morning, we, we are the practical demonstration. We are the practical living current demonstration of sacrificial love. God is the source, Christ is the manifestation, the Holy Spirit's the teacher, right? He wants to perfect in us that love. That word perfect just means to bring to completion, to bring to maturity, right? And the Holy Spirit's always working in us, isn't he? He's always growing us, isn't he? In every aspect of Christian life, but in this superlative aspect, this superior aspect of the love, expression of love, he's always training us to keep on mission so that we are able to constantly be that living, practical demonstration of Christian love. We noticed earlier in verses 7, 11, and 12, the one another's here. We are then, according to this context, to love one another unto this missional end. So that means we have a disciple-making responsibility as we sit and study God's Word together, as we rub shoulders with one another in the local church. Part of loving one another is to mature one another unto being individual ambassadors for the cause of Christ. This is sharing the joy. This is how we lay our lives down. This is what the text is saying we live for. We live to be a living expression of that superlative degree of the love of God. Are you doing that? Are you helping each other? Stay on mission? Work's busy, home's busy, civic duties make us even busier. But if you got lost, 
in the common grace busyness of life, have you lost focus of the mission? Maybe you've lost focus because we're not working together well enough to help keep each other on task, on mission, as the living physical examples of Christ's gospel. The clearest visual, audible expression of the highest form of God's love to share and prove that Christ was in flesh, Christ was sent, is us. It's us. And we are to love one another unto that end. Do you remember our conclusion of the book of Romans a few weeks ago in Paul's doxology? The gospel is to be spoken, right? It's to be heard. We're to help people discern it. We're to help people understand it. We're to help people own it. That was the conclusion of all 16 chapters, folks. We hear of the love of God and the love of Jesus, and we've expressed various ways in which that's seen and known among us, but the way that love is shared and seen and known among us is all unto a superlative end. If Satan can keep us just loving one another in practical ways and stop us shy of its missional end, he's won. He's won. But if we can take all those passages of one another each other, I think there's some 60, 60 some of those passages, and understand that the, the, whether it be through gifting or whether it be just through practical loving and helping of each other, growing each other in the Word, if we can always keep in mind that every time we see one of these one another's, it's always to strengthen us, to mature us, to prepare us, to be sent to be kept on missional task. God has someone for you if you abide in Him to reach for Christ. Now who is it? Who is it? Who you've been praying for? Who you've been thinking about? Who you've been speaking to? Who you've been helping to understand or discern and own? Who? Who? Is it a neighbor, coworker, family member? Who? And I know, I know, I know. This can be like radically convicting. And so it should be. Because the highest purpose for the existence of Jesus Christ is also our highest purpose. And we don't know really what it means to live a Christian life unless we're on mission to reach at least one. And we need to love one another, love one another unto that end. In my home, everyone just try to reach one. And we talk about that often. We try to have dinners and lunches and kids over to our house that our kids know in the community. Why? Because our highest expression of love to them is not to offer them pizza, which we do. Not to offer them our whole basement to watch a Browns game, which we did last night. 
Our whole purpose is not just to love on them and enjoy our Christmas food, a warm handshake or a half hug coming in the door, a Merry Christmas, enjoy the game, celebrate an ever so rare win, right? I know four out of five is not so rare anymore, right? To go out the door and say, God bless you, I hope to see you again. They can watch how we love each other in our home, and they can notice, wow, Emma says I love you to her dad differently. I don't even think I say that to my dad, or my dad never says that to me. That's different. It's not just to see them hold my wife's hand or kiss my wife in their presence or some type of physical expression of a hug of, 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 of another son to his mom. It's not just to pray before we eat, which we do in our home, regardless who's in our home. It's not just to show them that we live according to obedience of God's word as best we can. All that is done and necessarily done. Why? We strengthen each other so that we can always stay focused on mission. We love one another unto that end. Because that's why we're here. That's why we're here. We have a little thing we've started in our family, right? Uh, I don't know, when you're, when you're trying to stay on mission and you pray, God, give me some creative ways on how I can stay on mission, believe you, he answers that prayer. Trust me, you pray it, he'll answer it. And God just laid on my heart one day when I was praying for my kids and their friends, how in the world can we minister to them so that we can live on task, so we can share the joy, so we can lay our lives down for them, Right? And, and God just laid on my heart during that time of prayer, you know what, you know, you went through in high school eight orthopedic surgeries before you graduated from high school and God providentially took away all your college athletic opportunities through those surgeries. And you remember that agony and that pain in your own life. So, Tim, why don't you go minister for the sake of the gospel to kids who are going through the same pain? So I contacted the school system. I said, hey, can we do this? And they said, well, you know, I don't know that we can necessarily do that through our parents association, our sports parents association. And I get it. But they said, we don't mind if you do it. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to minister to every kid in every sport who endured a season-ending injury. Right? Well, all my kids aren't in every sport. So they said, well, you can do at least the one your kids are in. So I started to, to keep track of who that they played with had a season-ending injury and, and uh, went out and got some gifts to deliver to their home. Unto an end. Right? Man, unsaved man, just by common grace, can go that far. Right? They can deliver a gift, shed a tear for a kid who's lost a season and maybe a career. We can do that too, but it's the highest expression has got to be eternal purpose. I was in a hospital room, I believe it was Friday afternoon. It was a starting nose tackle for the football team this year. He's a junior, got hurt the first game of the year, wiped out his whole junior season. And I went to go visit him in the hospital. Rhonda came with me. I took a gift to him. 
I tried to see him several more times, but at his home three different times, he wasn't home. Uh, he was going back because he had gotten an infection of a 1.7% chance to get this particular infection three months after his repair. I walked into the room, gave him the gift, told him my story, agonized together, and uh, his dad told us that, you know, he probably not only lost this year, but he's already lost his whole senior season, and, and maybe, I can't get into the details, but maybe I've lost his whole athletic career from ever playing again. And, uh, and I just said at the end, you know, can, do you mind if I just pray? Do you mind if I just pray? And uh, they said, yeah. So I began to pray, and um, sweet hulk of a kid, during prayer, just starts, to, just starts to ball his eyes out. Just weep. I know that pain. When I was done praying, I went over to the side of the bed and got on my knees. And he just reached out and just grabbed my neck. And we just, we just wept together. I said, man, I get it. I lived it. No one's really going to know that unique pain, but I get it. But I want to tell you why God did that for me. God did that for me, because if he didn't, I wouldn't be here sharing with you. But I got a bigger story to tell you. I got a bigger story to tell you. It doesn't end just here, my friend, with me dropping off a gift and agonizing in your pain over losing a season. I need to come back and tell you the story how Jesus helped me. Would you allow that? Would that be okay? I said, Absolutely. Several more texts from his mom that night and even through yesterday saying, we can't wait to come back. I guess when he left, he actually asked his mom, he goes, do you think he'll really come back and see me? Yeah. And so I'm going to. Door wide open to the gospel for their family. And I'm not saying that for all oh, boy. All I'm saying that is this. All right? I think it's okay to talk about a personal testimony when it talks about staying on mission. Amen. My friends... God has someone in your orb. Look at me, please, everybody. Every eye up here. You may be a visitor today. You don't have to look at me. For those who regularly come to Grace, I know it's a painful experience anyway. But if you could just hang on with me here. God has someone for you right where you are. Right where you are. We're not seeing them because really not praying for it, and, and we're really not experiencing the ultimate expression of love on earth, being able to live it. We celebrate Christmas, why Jesus came. Three times in the text, he came. He was sent to be, to teach us how to live on mission as a propitiation and savior of the world. Now, now, as you own him, as you own him, will you be an ambassador for him? And be that love to one another unto that end of reaching somebody. Reaching one. Because it's only Jesus that can save. These people cannot save themselves, and they know it. Religious people know it. Okay? Let's pray together.